Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Deputy Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, Shlingiwe Makizi, who previously served as Minister of Higher Education and Training, Minister of Home Affairs, Deputy Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services, Deputy Minister of Economic Development, Deputy Minister of Higher Education in her earlier role in 2010 to 2012, Deputy Minister of Correctional Services, And she is also the former ambassador of South Africa to the Netherlands. Welcome to the show, Deputy Minister. Oh, thank you very much also for an elaborate introduction. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about what I did to pursue a gender equality agenda in all those positions. Thank you very much. You know, Deputy Minister, you have really worked across almost half of our portfolios. So we look forward to hearing how you have managed to to pursue the gender agenda in those various portfolios. And we'll touch into that a little later. Importantly, August is celebrated as Women's Month in South Africa. And I always feel that it's this period to reflect on the gains as well as looking towards the future of what those possibilities are. This year's theme is Generation Equality, Realizing Women's Rights for an Equal Future. So reflecting for a moment on the past, in your opinion, what would you say have been some of the important equality gains that women have attained? Um, It's important to reflect on health and reproductive rights and say we, as, as of today, we can talk to clinics which are specifically uh, established to serve women uh, the right to abortion, you know, childcare, uh, and so on. But also when you look at the electrification program, we, we always say what has happened, access to electricity as against carrying wood, uh, and making fire on the ground, women have been relieved to a great extent on that burden, as even women in rural areas and informal settlements, some of them have access to that. We look at education as well. You know, we have statistics which shows us that if you look at uh, basic education, the number of pe- female pupils uh, has increased. Uh, in universities, I think it's even exceed that of uh, young men. Uh, so those are some of the gains. I mean, we, we hear of a few women uh, now who are succeeding in playing a, a leadership role in the boards. And of course, the number are fewer. Uh, but I think already we can say there are ways of showing that it's doable. Health, reproduction rights, electricity, education are all absolutely critical. And I often think as a woman today that we almost should be in a position where we we take these things for granted. 
But it is important to know that we have had to fight for these rights, which actually are human rights and should be accessible to us anyway. I know that the journey and and the fight for equality is, is certainly far from over. And this year on Women's Day, President Cyril Ramaphosa announced four important actions. And for our listeners, I'll highlight briefly what those were. Action one is to expand access of women to economic opportunities. Action two, to support women who operate small or micro businesses, including the informal sector. Action three is to speed up the process of giving women access to productive assets such as land. And action four is to ensure that women are safe from gender-based violence in the workplace. Given that you represent the portfolio that includes women in the department, how do you see these actions materializing? You know, of course, we are in in this era of COVID-19. We cannot go out and meet with people, but basically what we are able to do is to hold webinars. Just uh, on Friday, we had one, you know, where we were with the civil society organizations, leaders of um, women business associations, the UN women, and, and quite a number of respected bodies where we were saying, how do we realize uh, these noble objectives, given the fact that we've come a long way since 1994? For instance, the action one you spoke about, it's even protected in the constitution, socioeconomic rights. And we have had quite a number of good legislation which was meant um, to, to protect or to, to ensure that there's redress in terms of, you know, the, the women accessing economic opportunities. But it hasn't worked. So I don't think today we can say we're looking for new policies or the new legislation. The big question that we, is facing us is how do we ensure that programs from today onwards, they, 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 they meet the criteria that is in the constitution and the legislation to women for equitable access to opportunities. And, and that's a big debate we are having. And we are also looking at what is fate? Why have we fate? And we realize that, for instance, with good policies, like triple BEE, we allowed for too long men, uh, black men, to dominate uh, the scene, accessing opportunities on the grounds that they've included uh, in their deal, business deal, women, youth, and persons with disability. And often nobody is able to monitor the actual beneficiation once uh, the, 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 the project ro- is rolled out. So what we are saying is that we have to use the, le- the lever, the legislation, the policies to deliberately create opportunities that are earmarked for women and go all out looking for them, preparing for them so that we, we can begin to count the numbers of women uh, who are owners of business 
who are in the cooperatives and women who are growing SMEs. Deputy Minister, do you think that I know that we have fantastic legislation, and as you said, this isn't about trying to drive and, and develop a new policy because we, we have good policy out there. Do you think this as as possible way of measurement is through improved monitoring and evaluation of, of holding people more accountable as one mechanism to see who the beneficiaries are, who the owners are, and secondly, something that um, that that is a bit of a challenge for for more women than uh, than men, is the aspect where not only will a woman want to embrace and open her own business, but she also has to contend with looking after her family, looking after her her household, almost the the non paid labour. So she's got to juggle between these elements. What is your view there? You know, I, I would say African women from historical times, they've developed this capability and they tend to transfer it from generation to generation. I mean, when I, I grew up, I knew that uh, my mother was overall responsible for uh, running the family. In other words, all of us, the six of us in my family, we go to her for our basic needs. I, I knew that my mother could make uh, clothes uh, for other women, pinafores, scarves, and many other things that she used to make. And then I knew that uh, on a Sunday she'll go to church, and I knew that during the course of the week she will go out to areas actually selling these things. But at the same time, you know, of course, she was lucky that uh, my father was very close to those family chores and she had support. So, you know, what we think is needed is to ensure that we hold them by the hand. So what is needed is government support. The starting point for empowerment is government investing at, at it. And when I say government, I mean all spheres of government, starting with national, the provincial, and the local. Our women, burdened as they are, with good support. I've mentioned how they can multitask because I want to say with good support, they will flourish because they've learned over years from generation to generation to work hard, to dedicate to a cause, and to be generally reliable in whatever they are doing and not dropping the ball, as a man will easily do it. If it's too much, he will choose not to support a child or to help in, in, with the household. But women, so they, they, they have over years really proven to, to be resilient, and dedicated to family life, community life as well, is them, and generally, you know, much stronger in terms of integrity and all those high values of providing leadership at a family level and a community level. And on a practical level, when you talk about support, what types of support do you envision and, and where can women 
realistically access the support from? Well, you know, in our, you know, now as we are evaluating, we we have had webinars where we do, we, we we have in the house uh, people from treasury and other departments responsible for economy the economy of the country, and what we have, we have realized is that even you know national treasury where the procurement officer is sitting at a national level. Luckily, we've had it in, in a room. We've said, first of all, the tenders should be written for, so that they are accessible to ordinary people in South Africa. A woman who has been farming on her own is able to produce uh, as a party can put cabbages or spinach or tomatoes and go and and send it even to another province in a truck. If you look at our tender documents, they cannot access them. You know, when we started talking, you mentioned that I was an ambassador in the in the Netherlands. I was so impressed. I met with one organization. And they showed me a pager where when you are applying, uh, they, they say, as a Dutch person, if I'm applying to set up a plant in a developing country, I, I could be uh, giving a, a million euros, but I will, if I succeed, I will only pay back 50% of that. But that, for me, what struck me was the way they have learned to simplify the, the tender document. In our case, it's really not yet written for the people I'm talking about who have been left behind, who are excluded. It's not accessible. And so those are some of the things we've said. But also we've said we need flexibility. You can't say if I have an event in an informal settlement in Deep Slot, then I must, as a government official, I must go to the national um, uh, procurement database. And if there's no one from that deep slot, then I'm forced to take somebody who maybe is far away from deep slot. And, and the woman in deep slot, they will be in a meeting with me and they start asking, who is cooking for you? We are service providers here. So there are many things that we have to do to realize that we have different categories of people in society. And the majority of those who make us to be highly unequal, we have to target them. We have to have earmarked policies which are aimed at ensuring that we, we, we bring them closer to where opportunities are rather than to continue alienating them further and further. Thanks for highlighting some of the enabling elements that the department is invested into and is advocating to help propel a woman's economic empowerment more fruitfully and, and productively. You mentioned earlier 
using the phrase the African woman and and her capability and and her capacity. And the reality is, as South Africa, we are Africans. We live on this wonderful continent. How do you see collaborations with your counterparts in other gender ministries across the continent? And are there any significant projects that you're working on? Well, you know, we, here now in South Africa, we have an office of UN Women. And, you know, that office is really a catalyst in the sense that uh, I suppose, you know, through the use of a webinar, we've had opportunities to engage a little bit more with other women uh, from across the continent uh, without thinking about traveling to Kenya, traveling to Nigeria, uh, traveling to Rwanda, but within a short period of time, able to share notes and and discuss what should be possible. Uh, of course, the, the rallying point these days has been uh, the economic um, architecture post-COVID-19. Uh, and so we also, the, the three trade, uh, Africa trade zone that the AU has come up with has compelled us to say, let's talk to women in other parts of the continent because there we might be able to collaborate. For instance, if I'm in the flower business, I need to talk to women in Kenya who have done this with success over years. If I'm in textile, I need women from Ghana and Nigeria and so on. When it comes to financial inclusion, using technology, I need to talk to women in Kenya um, who have succeeded uh, through a special uh, financial technology to include women to access financing and so on. So there are these new opportunities that really are compelling us to have a conversation because if we don't, then this uh, this free Africa trade zone, I hope I'm calling it correctly, which is being championed by a Zimbabwean, a successful business person, we are not going to be competitive there. Uh, men will uh, dominate the scene and their goods from all over the, the continent will be marketed and they will uh, have access to bigger markets and, and will be left behind. So hence, we, we have seen a need of sharing notes and of talking and making sure that we get to know each other. But of course, you know, with the president, uh, President Ramaphosa, having committed himself so much to gender equality and having this opportunity of being the chair of the AU, he has clearly said there are two things he'll be championing throughout the continent. That is women's economic inclusion and GBV, gender-based violence. So, you know, that moral and political authority, it, it, it has energized us and it has really given us that hope that it's all in our hands. If we put up a fight, we have somebody at the helm 
of leadership within the continent who have made our struggle his. And it's very rare. Normally, men will think about other things that they will focus upon, peace and security, uh, and, and many other uh, so-called important things. But here we are in 2020, we have this advantage which we want to exploit to the fullest. I think that is such an important endorsement, having our leader, being a man, talking about women's issues, publicizing them and lending his full support to it. We've spoken about some of the economic components and also about digital media as being this fantastic tool of being able to create our global village of of bringing people from Nigeria, bringing people from Kenya, bringing people from South Africa together in one environment as a virtual space as opposed to to physically going through there. We also know that gender-based violence, and that was part of, of action point four, is being able to ensure women are safe from GBV in the workplace. And with our program being about gender equality, it does highlight some of the statistics which should concern all of us. And to help our our listeners become more aware, within the South African landscape in the last 10 years, from 2008 to 2018, there were 584,000 sexual offences reported to SAPS. The challenge is, though, that 90% of sexual offences are committed against women, and it's estimated that 30% of those crimes go unreported. So we are potentially looking at a much larger figure. What are your views on how to help address the scourge of GBV in South Africa? Yeah, that is that has become a big one. You'll be aware that uh, in 2018, we held that historic seminar where young people from universities across the country demanded to see the president and spoke openly about their experiences of gender-based violence. And I'm lucky that with my background in higher education, I continue to work with the organization Higher Health, which um, assists the Department of Higher Education in addressing gender-based violence. So, basically, it's a it's a it's a big issue, which we we believe it's linked to where we come from and where we are. You know, this thing of patriarchy is a big problem because we it, it has created over many decades, a generation of people who believe they have power, like men have power over women. Men should control women. And men are are, are fathers, women are children. I'm talking about older women. So gender-based violence then it tends to be the end result of beliefs and attitudes that do not recognize women's rights as human rights. And unfortunately, these dominant views have been, have been perpetuated throughout the system. Our school system has not 
aggressively said since 1994, since we want to create a non-sexist, non-racist, equal society, then what do we do? How does how do we make sure that our c- curriculum supports that dream? So we're not really uh, consistently made sure that uh, pupils, when they enter schools, boys and girls begin to confront uh, the, the, the privileges uh, of patriarchy and the attitudes, the prejudices, the stereotypes that go with it. You go to places of worship, it's the same. Whether you are thinking about the, the, the interpretation of the Bible or of the Quran or of Judaism, people just continue to allow uh, male domination uh, in, in these spheres. And even in the workplace, you know, the, 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 the small number of women sitting in boards and being the heads, the, like CEOs or chair of, of multinational companies, it creates a problem for us. We end up with gender-based violence. Some cultural teachings where, uh, like in some areas we've been to Lisigisigi, where a man can take a school girl and, and talk to a family and say, I want to marry this one, it's still happening today. So that's why we are saying we have this now document, which we call National Strategic Plan. But it's not, it has got pillars, but it's not going to automatically solve the problem. We have to mobilize coalitions at a societal level beyond the district development model, at a community level, street level, home to home, family to family, church to church to say these are changes that we are making which will ensure gender equality and realization of women's rights as human rights. Deputy Minister, I've heard all of your thinking, your your rationale, looking at ways of, of how to create this change. And often a thing which almost a actually it, it doesn't almost annoy me it does annoy me is the fact that we almost have to have this issue of socialization that for old generations it's as though we can't change their mindsets and they continue to perpetuate outmoded thinking the fact is that culture can change culture is dynamic we can move ahead we can forge new paths there's there's ways of undoing patriarchy but it is so important on how that learned behavior of, of children and adolescents' attitudes towards women is manifested and influenced in their formative years so that when they become adults, they think, let's say, in, in the correct way of how women should be treated, of honoring women's rights as human rights. And within the youth space, it does fall under your department's responsibility. So what role do you think the department could play given that you straddle youth women and persons with disabilities to help positively influence the youth's attitude towards women and girls as equals? Well, for instance, you know, since the youth division is back from the president's office to our office, we have said during their youth month, 
they should use their power of my ability to mobilize the masses to really interrogate, confront uh, these socialization patterns. We are, we, you know, they, we, we have said to them, they have an opportunity in 10 years' time to have created a generation that is, is no longer thinking in the old-fashioned ways of male domination as a norm. So that's the assignment we've given them. Uh, they are finalizing, they, they are consulting throughout the country, talking to youth in rural areas and in informal settlements and those who are connected uh, through technology. Really, they are programs. All of them, we do believe, if they can be geared towards redress and ensuring that in their conversations, uh, they are the ones, the champions, who the, the first generation to end this problem. We do believe 10 years' time they would have contributed substantially to these to the sketch of gender-based violence because nobody would think they own a woman. Nobody would think if a woman wants to terminate a relationship, then it means I must kill this person. So we have got a medium to long-term view which hopefully will help readdress the way that women are perceived. And with that being embraced by our youth, it's up to them to look at how they influence older generations as well as the generations that come after them. You are listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band, also available on DSTV channel 802. Today, we're talking to Deputy Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, Shlengiwe Makizi. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Deputy Minister, we have touched briefly on the impact of, of COVID-19 as this awful pandemic that has had massive consequences on both the social landscape as well as the economic landscape. And women obviously are, are impacted significantly on several levels from poverty, ability to work, maintaining childcare, etc. What types of solutions have you been seeing take place to enable women in South Africa to adapt to life? And let's say it's, it's never going to truly be post-COVID, but it's about learning to live with this condition and disease that we now have in our midst. You know, in our conversations uh, through our webinars, we've said COVID-19 has laid bare the faulty lines in society. For, from the time when uh, President Ramaphosa announced the lockdown regulations, what we saw in big numbers were women going to the streets, looking for food parcels, soups, so highest levels of hunger. Uh, that people did imagine before. People didn't realize that even those who are working, 
they are not earning enough to be able to survive without a day, without going to work. So that's what we saw. And it compared us to, uh, you know, government has been developing work streams to to deal with COVID-19. We really had to, you know, go to our officials, go to virtually all the work streams so that the one dealing with food parcels, the gender agenda is at the center. The one dealing with grants, we, we, we show them how women are affected in particular. And the one dealing with economy, we, we made sure that we, we show them how where, where they prioritize to support women-owned businesses. They don't only start thinking about SMEs, but they, they start thinking about informal traders, women selling fat cakes along the street for years, using the, the, the proceeds there to educate children, to look after the family. So we, we've really, I, I mean, what we've done, it has helped a lot. Uh, hence, there was even that special grant that they thought about to say, if, even if it's for six months, the poorest of the poor who are not benefiting from any of the grants, if they could be supported, uh, hopefully then as we open the economy, people are, can be able to go back to work uh, since women are low-level workers in any way. So all those interventions have really been to ensure that women cope through this difficult time. But above that, we have been saying, post-COVID-19, starting from what we are doing today, we can no longer do the things we did yesterday and hope to get different results. We have to structure our economic architecture differently for different results, having in mind special empowerment of the inclusion of women deliberate in the economy from accessing finances, land ownership, being given skills to access 40% of our procurement and, and, and so on and so on. So we are monitoring closely whatever is being done by different uh, departments uh, through supply chain management and asking the same question, what percentage is going to go to women? And for South Africa, what has been good again, our president has said, ministers, uh, first secretaries, meaning director generals, their performance appraisal will also determine whether they manage to empower women uh, through economic inclusion. So we, I, I think the commitment and the seriousness that has been shown at the highest level today is likely to give us different results. Deputy Minister, all of those interventions that you mentioned really seem to be trying to create meaningful change and not just be political or or policy rhetoric. We are 
unfortunately running out of time. There are many more things I would have liked to have asked you. But in honor of Women's Month, and you are going to be our last show for closing Women's Month, could you please share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women in the continent that are listening to the show? I think the time is now, as we anticipate the evaluation of sustainable development goals, the time is now for all of us, hold each other by hand, connect and do things together so that we succeed with all the goals. But also, I think within the continent as women, we are lucky that even the African Union, when it comes to gender equality, has moved. They've taken the issue beyond talking, but they are looking at implementation per country, which creates a competition of some kind. And I I suppose those are the gains we have, having had a woman in the the caliber of Dr. Nkosaza Nizamini Zuma as the chair of the AU. Uh, She set a, a, a tone and created a fertile ground for what we see today. We are in a position to see the benefits of our democracy. Uh, But of course, as women, we should be vocal against things like corruption. We should promote ethical leadership and we should be the champions of equality in all respects, including issues of the LGBTQIA plus community, persons with disability, and so on. And in that way, uh, our countries will, will reap uh, the benefits of democracies that we have fought for over many years, all of us. Thank you for that great message of one, of unity, of utilizing our voices. And we live in a democracy, so let's use that democracy to our advantage to achieve what still needs to be done. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the air. Thank you, Amalia. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Deputy Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities, Shlingiwa Mukizi.